Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Morning, Jim. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Jason. How are you guys doing today? Great. Fantastic. Well, good. Yeah. Excited for another two hours of Mortgage Matters. Oh, that's going to be the best two hours of your life, actually, this morning. This no, um, that'd be cool. What's gonna happen? I've had some pretty good couple of hours, and you're gonna <laughs> trump them all. There you are. I mean, I'm up for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm up for it. I'm just saying this is gonna be invigorating radio. You're gonna find out every answer to every question that you ever wanted or to know about real estate and mortgages and finances. It's gonna be the best two hours here. An exceptional right. show. Exactly. Good. Well, it sounds like you're excited about it. I'm so. up. I'm up. I'm ready. I'm pumped. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Did you want to, um, are you guys talking about the changeover here with the station? There's not a whole lot I can say, but no. um, I do have lunch scheduled on Monday. We're going to go gonna go break bread with the big wigs and find out what the new. Uh, yeah, what the plans are and stuff. Is KVEC going to stay on 920, or yes. is it going to switch spots yeah. on the dial? As far as I know, it is. Yes, it's going to stay on 920. And is it going to stay in this they, building? They, no. We are going to get we're getting new studios. We're moving to Sacramento, Sacramento Drive. Yeah. yeah, we're getting brand new studios. Are we getting syndicated, too? I've been waiting for that. I, I've been pushing for the green room this time. <laughs> oh, so yeah. we'll, see, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. But uh, they... I can't say much, so but I a, do know that that they like these shows. Good, cool. Well, that's good. So the Motor Mouse and the Mortgage Matters, as far as I know, and I'll know more this week. KVC is a pretty important part of of San Luis, I think. I mean, yeah, on the rare since nineteen thirty seven. Today we only be what what mom called preaching to the choir because anyone that's yeah. listening obviously yeah. sees the value of having the radio station here in right. town. Mm-hmm. But I mean, between the just Congleton during the week and the weekend programming yeah. and well, the weekend programming is one of the reasons that uh, KVC does so well on the weekends because we have things like Mortgage Matters and Motor Mouse, and we have the syndicated, you know, the old time radio shows that we do on Sundays, and people enjoy that stuff. Yeah, and so that's part of the reason that it does so well on the weekends. Um, well. I'm glad they're not shutting it down. No. I kind of, I kind of I know, worried no. that they might. I no. mean, at some point down the road, who knows? Yeah. Well, it's you're not there. allowed to say this, but I don't work for the radio station. I just say <laughs> every time there's yeah. like a merger or an acquisition, happen, it seems yeah. like there's a first clean out, and then you know, then you kind of move everything around, see how it's all going, and then you clean up sometimes more. So at yeah. least we made the first cut. Yeah, we're. we're, we're <laughs> I think we're going to be okay. Like I said, I do have an appointment scheduled on Monday. So. Well, cool. We'll, we'll look forward to your report next week <laughs> on what's going to happen. And July 1 is the, the, the official changeout. Official right? changeout, but um, we'll see. I mean, we, we may, I don't know. I, so I, there's I, a radio station over there that's currently open and running. 
What are they broadcasting from that location today? I don't know, but no, I believe uh, KBEC is getting a brand new studio. They're, they're, building, they're building a facility? A brand new building, brand new studio. No way. Yeah. See how my microphone kind of dangles? <laughs> yeah. And this, this, this is going to be great. You can pick apart this entire room. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just wow. it's just outdated. Oh, I just figured we were moving into existing studios. Yeah. No, they're building a brand new studio. Awesome. Tell me this. I mean, there, there's, there's a. Uh, I mean, we, I, I can say that it's part of the same company that has KZOZ and KJUG. Sure. And um, I can say that, but um, I used to go. But they're building a brand new studio in their facility for KVC, as far as I know. So Ooh. way back in the '90s, when I first moved to Slow in '98, there was a radio station that broadcasts like out of a housey type place in town over there somewhere i don't remember where it was do you know what i'm talking about a housey yes. type place yeah no, it was like a house ksly <laughs> yeah sly ksly yeah is that still like a is I that still a radio so. place no i don't believe so I don't ksly is in this building right now it is okay but, uh it's in our current facility but yeah i met a guy in one of my uh cuesta classes named d hill and he was a sly jock yeah okay and then there was another guy named chris Bl the blood brothers oh, oh yeah do you remember chris, these I, guys i know the blood brothers actually personally. are they still they, around they're not they're still in radio actually doing really well hmm. but they're not uh they're not in this building they're not even in this market anymore so I knew I, I knew a handful of those guys, and I used to go into that. Whatever, I don't even remember where it was, but it was close to downtown Slow. Mm -hmm. Sort of a craftsman and around back. They just had this little yeah. broadcasting studio. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. They, <laughs> a converted bedroom, probably. <laughs> Maybe so. It probably was at one point in time a bedroom. Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's exciting. the yeah. The change is happening. So you said it's official July one, but the, that doesn't mean that we're moving on July one. Yeah, I mean, there might be some sort of agreement if the studio is not ready. I don't know. I can't. I don't. I haven't. Um, I haven't seen what the studio looks like yet. I might might be able to see that. Maybe soon. you're going to find that out on Monday. Yeah. So like I said, we'll, we'll look see. forward to your update next Saturday. Yeah. All right. So this Saturday uh, today. Being the, the third Saturday of the month, we usually have Wes Burke on. He's traveling, so he's not going to be on today. So you guys are just going to have to put up with just just me and Dan. We'll do our best. It's all you can ask for, right? We'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> so, oh man, where to start? I had a... It was a good week, by the way. It's a good week for interest rates. It's a good week in the mortgage business. I don't know that it was a particularly good week in the stock market. Did you guys talk about the uh, the fall in treasury yields, the fall in interest rates last week? I think I caught a little bit of that last week. You weren't here last week? No. Where were you? I was doing stuff. I was at home working on projects. Taking a little respite from you. It was Jason Squared <laughs> last week. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Man, we're going to have to get you talking more if I don't even remember the weeks that you weren't here. <laughs> I was saving that all morning. I was hoping that you were going to be the one to bring it up, too. 
Yeah, we talked a little bit about that. In fact, uh, one of my clients this week forwarded an email to me from about five-ish months ago. It was shortly after you and I had talked to Raul and talked about the fact that these bond yields could head down into the the low 1.6 range, maybe even high 1.5. And I'd like reiterated that and said, you know, well, let's let's keep an eye on this for months because it seems like it's possible. And he sent me an email and said, I guess you were right. And I said, well, look at that. Well, in one of the big conversations that we had that those several months ago was that these treasury yields like to trade in a range generally as most things do they trade in a range um the the 10-year treasury yield has just recently in the last week or so dropped into a new range or dropped out of the range that we were in which is the 1.65 to 1. 1.995 uh, something like that there's about a 30 basis point range that it was trading in for gosh probably the last six to 12 months and now we saw it dip down below the one six five level into the one fives. We had we had some moments of one five five wow. the other day at the helm. Yesterday recovered enough. You know, yesterday we had uh, five one hundredths of an increase. No, sorry, five tenths. No, one ten. Yeah, one hundredths. 0.05 increase so there it's up go. to 1.6 i was trying to think back to like first grade math remember where they teach you the decimal and then so you have one tens one hundreds yeah right so it, it, where did it close out yesterday 1.62 which so was still, up five ticks so it opened the day at 1.57 but now it's in this new range where it's now 165 is the high which is really interesting to me because was it last year or early this year? There were people, and there's always people making predictions about, you know, what different economic events are going to happen or what different indices are going to do during the year. There were people, I just thought they were out of their minds. They were talking about this 10-year treasury yield going as low. They saw it going as low as 1%. No way, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are. We keep going down and it's so baffling to me, but we have a jobs report like we saw most recently here for the May jobs. Um just not a great report at all and that really has shaken confidence. It's the Fed has more or less said that they're concerned and there's a lot of talk that there's like that there may be zero rate hikes this year at all yeah i saw there was a couple of clips from the fed meeting um you know of course there's the statement and then the press conference afterwards one of the things that was discussed was that um six fed officials so if you're keeping score the month prior only one fed official said that there would only be one more hike this year so we we had one lone wolf Fed official saying, guys, we can only do one more. And the the really the remainder of the board said, we're not we're not there yet. We think it's going to be perhaps two or maybe more. Um, now there's six on that side of the court that said one more possible this year. So wow. the majority of the Fed now is is heading in that direction that there's only one, which sort of means that if the trends continue, maybe none, to be honest. I mean, it, it, let me take it a step further. I, I heard some chatter this week that 
that the next Fed move was more likely to be easing than tightening. Giving back that quarter they took yeah. in December. How wild is that? I keep hearing things like this, like yields going, treasury yields going down to one percent, and you know, easing before we tighten again. No way. But I have, I, I mean, recent history proves that I've been wrong. So <laughs> plenty of times. A couple of other things are are afoot right now, though. This week, the ten-year German bond went into negative territory for the first time ever. Wow. So what you're seeing there is negative interest rates where the the idea behind this is you want the money out. We need you to go out and spend your money. Do not put it in the bank. If you're a business owner, open another store, create some more jobs, buy some more inventory, reduce your prices, whatever you need to do. Do not put your profits in the bank because if you do, we're charging you a fee now. That's negative interest rates. So you got Germany doing this for the first time ever. Um, additionally, you've got this um, Great Britain potentially exiting the EU coming up. I mean, they've got a, a vote underway. The uncertainty of it, it sounds like it's likely to pass at this point. Um, so the global investors are really pouring money into the U.S. market Interestingly enough, at the exact same times that we come off one of the most horrendous job reports that we've had since we got out of the negative, right? Mm -hmm. We were in negative. That was bad. That was real bad. That's got to be the low watermark probably until the next huge recession. Um, we, we had negative job reports for uh, months, in fact, years in a row. Um, so the fact that we're positive is okay. We weren't very positive. And so um, everybody's sort of going, wow, look, there's these, there's these things going on globally. The U.S. seems like a pretty strong economy. I mean, from where you, depending on which side you look at it, that jobs report was kind of the soft spot. And you know, Janet Yellen said, be careful and don't ever put too much emphasis in one month's report. There's things that go into it. Don't don't believe that that's the basket to put your eggs in. Okay. But the national jobs number for a 12th of the year is kind of a big deal. You're not asking me to like be surprised by rain showers today or something bizarre. We counted up how many jobs our economy made. It was well below what the average has been. The last several months have been softening. This is the new low water mark for years in a row. It feels a little freaky. And so in the whole big picture, that's what's causing people to rush in and buy these bonds. And it's pretty fascinating. Just a few weeks ago, you know, I always talk about my my good friend that splits his time between here and Taiwan. And it's interesting for us to see what's happening in Taiwan versus what's happening here. You know, he's paying income taxes in two places and maintaining two households. And so we got to talking about he thinks I'm a lot smarter than um, I am. And he's asking me about, you know, financial advice and this, that, and the other. He said that he had moved his entire 401k out of its account that it really was invested in and is like putting it into bonds. And so I said, well, you kind of got to be careful with that because we're at this point where when these rates start to go up, if all of the bonds you bought in circa June of 2016 that have a 1.5% a yield, 
then you know we get to september october you know next year and you can buy a bond with a three percent yield that one you have is a bad bond it's a you have all your money in something that's now underperforming and you're gonna have to sell it at a discount to get out from under it so that you could move back into you know the stock market or whatever other allocation you might choose at that point but even if it's new bonds so you or can, you write it out for 10 whole years and then you get your one and a half percent brutal <laughs> brutal well because look if if those yields are all going up it's because the economy is catching fire so you have an investment now that's sidelined in some kind of a another vehicle that's like caught in the traffic jam slow lane not making any money while everybody else is off you know, investing their their money into bigger, better things. That's that interesting trade-off, by the way, of how do you want to invest? You want to sit in cash? You want to be in the stock market? You want to be in the bond market? You want to take a mix of all of them? You know, day trading obviously is not a real easy thing to do, but if you weight too heavily in bonds right now, and this is all I could really tell them, and I, and I sort of recalled those conversations. You remember when we had... Um, Dr. Fisher on from Cal Poly. Yep. He talks so much about he was holding a position. You remember this? This was like, this was a few years ago, but he was holding a position that was short on the bonds, believing that all of the stimulus was going to create runaway inflation and every textbook and piece of coursework that he had ever been through told him that when you inject that much money into the economy, you can't not have runaway inflation. And so he was holding these short positions that were costing him a fortune, needed those yields to go up like crazy. And now here we are. I mean, he was saying that he was two or three years into his position. If he still has those positions, wow, so much good money thrown after good money trying to save something that probably does make sense in terms of like the economic history of how inflation and things work. But how weird, you know, who would have predicted that after all of that, we wound down most all of the stimulus. And now we're in this spot where the feds raise rates in December at each meeting. Now they're not. We've got bond yields slipping even farther. Do you know that the 10-year bond yield is almost an entire percent lower than it was when the feds hiked that first time in December? Really? It was 2.5, <laughs> and now you're at 1.6. It's hard to believe. An entire point given out of, I mean, and that's that's a 40-ish percent reduction in that yield. That's crazy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we've... I mean, if, I really you, if thought, they thought they were pushing a lever that was going to put this stuff in a different lane and start causing, you know, the things you hope that a, a, a normalizing interest rate does, and it's had not only the opposite effect, but a profoundly opposite effect. So here we are, you know, and I recognize that probably some of our listeners this morning are probably already tired of this conversation where it's just, we keep talking about how low rates are. I pulled up some pricing real quick. So I just want to share with you guys, because what's the takeaway? What can you do about it? Number one, like my friend from Taiwan, I'll tell you this, um, maybe a good time to pay some attention to uh, how your accounts are invested. If you're doing stocks, if you're doing bonds, if you've got a mix of that, or if there's different funds you can put your 401k into and stuff. 
I'm not going to tell you what to do, but it's probably a good time to have a conversation with whoever manages it. If it's self-managed, you might want to just go in and make sure you're still comfortable with the allocation because things feel um, a little bit wild right now. Uh, so that's one thing you can do. Here's the other thing you can do. The, the benefit of having these crazy low rates is um, you could refi. <laughs> You could refi, you could buy something, you could take some cash out, you could consolidate some debt, you could pay off your second. All of these things that you might be able to do, you could accomplish all these at much lower rates. Um, I pulled this pricing up at the close of business yesterday. Um, just wanted to share this. A 15-year fixed. You want to hazard a guess as to what the no points 15-year fixed was at the close of business yesterday? 2.875. That's, you know, just on a 30-day lock. So you're looking at an APR that's 2.77% on a 15-year fixed. Hey, but look, the 10-year bond, because you could buy the 10-year bond and make 1.5. So now you could borrow it for 15 years at 2.5. That's a pretty sweet deal. That's a tight margin. That's a great loan right now. Um, so there's lots of people I'm thinking about that have like a 4% loan or something, a pretty good 30 year or 25 year loan. You have 4% with a lot of years to go. Um, you might want to call and do the math with us. Let's take your existing balance over a 15 year term at this significantly lower rate and see how close your payment is. I went through this with one of our employees the other day, in fact, that's considering going down to a 15-year. It sounds like if you have a $350,000 or $350, mortgage, the 15-year might raise your payment, you know, depending on your rate and what, you know, what you're coming from and going to and how many years you have left. It'll raise your payment by somewhere between three and $600 a month. That's not terrible. If you can afford it, I mean, have you looked at what the interest savings is in a 15-year versus a 30-year? You're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, of course, you get to pay your house off a lot sooner so you can retire sooner, whatever you want to do. Another client that I was talking to this last week, fantastic idea, in a good spot financially, have kids that are just just before their teenage years trying to come up with a, pan, a plan to pay the house off before the kids hit the college age. That's pretty smart, right? If, you'd, if you bang your house payment off to where it's totally done for by the time your kids start college, then you're going to be in a better spot to be able to help them. So there's a few different reasons why you might consider looking into something like that. Um, and then additionally, so, you know, maybe money's a little bit tighter, you can't quite swing that 15-year amortization period because that payment does hop up a little bit. Just want to save some money. Just want to save the uh, the cash flow. Um, 3.52 APR for a 30-year fix today. No points. Wow. 3.5 30-year fix. Come and get it. You know, 18 months ago, you're talking these rates were four, four and an eighth. People paid good money to buy their rate down to three and a half, and today it's free. So um, it's a it's a it's a great time. And again, you know, I I hate that it, it kind of is like a little bit of a, a sales pitch here, but I just want to say 
you know, those are the things you could do right now. This is why we're having this conversation. Um, revisit your investments, make sure that they're allocated correctly, meet with your broker, your advisor, whoever manages it. Uh, and then also come in and meet with your mortgage guy, uh, figure out whether or not you're in the right lane. If you got the right thing, might be possible to save some money. Um, it might be possible to go into a shorter term. In some cases, you can accomplish a shorter term for the exact same payment of what you have now. Yesterday, I put together a loan application for a good friend of mine that is um, in a fine loan. You know, loan was like four and three eighths or something. And it was, it's not terrible. I mean, it's a high interest rate, but they're doing a remodel. And so basically what we were able to accomplish is taking about $40,000 out of the house and getting the new lower rate, right? We're coming down in rate. And so the payment is really the same. So essentially because these rates slipped a little bit, it might not been enough for them to refi completely because they'd only saved so much and you know with the progress they'd made and everything but in this case it just means that they could access forty thousand dollars of cash and have their mortgage payment be like dollar to dollar equal so um you know again just food for thought those are the those are the kind of reasons you might call and just check in check the climate that was 30 minutes of Jason yammering. <laughs> Sorry. That's the first time, too, I think I've seen you give down the, the the brake signal. Only because he sat up in his chair and looked at me like he might want to say something. And so I just was, I didn't want to cut him off. If you've got some words, I don't want to step okay. on him, buddy. All right. I mean, the floor is yours. Okay. Let's, Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games. I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Well, we're moving on now. We're moving on up. To the east side. We're moving on up. 
Welcome back, you guys. Was that song, other than the Jefferson's theme song, was that song like a pop culture song? Uh, possibly. I don't think so. It was really got much airplay like WKRP in Cincinnati did or anything like that. Yeah. But, uh, but it's kind of a pop culture song. And, um, of course, we're moving to the other side of town. We're moving to the east side of San Luis. Right. See? Moving on up, up. To the east side. To the Brookstones. Brand new deluxe studio in the sky. To that $2 million deluxe apartment on Marsh. <laughs> there we go. So Awesome, huh? I was young when, mm-hmm. when um, the Jeffersons was on. Mm-hmm. I was real young. But I remember thinking that the little dude, I don't remember his name. I mean, he's Mr. Jefferson. But yeah. Uh-huh. He, I just remember he was like sharply dressed and yeah. super funny. He reminded me of the, he's like Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Maybe the OG George Martin Jefferson. Lawrence. George jo- Jefferson. There it is. I used to watch the show. You sure you're not thinking of George Jetson? No. It was George Jefferson. George Jefferson. Yeah. yeah there was George Jetson too. There yeah. was George Jetson. You must, you must barely remember it like me then. Yeah. I mean, I remember it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was definitely on the young side at the tail end of it, it. it's only because yeah. it came on after a team that you remember exactly. it <laughs> exactly yeah gi like, joe you know, is there any other reason gi to watch joe a team the jeffersons yeah there on is. one of the seven channels we had, we had to, <laughs> that's right you had to get up and go yeah you'd usually cha- ride it out because you don't have to get snap. up and change the dial hey, i actually had to get up and walk to the tv yeah. and change the channel I oh yeah remember when the we kids got a now complain yeah push button yeah. 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 Click. Uh, yeah. Um, it, one of the employees that we have is is younger, and uh, I was telling him that uh, uh, when I was a kid, I remember, I remember that we would tune it like you'd get up and go tune the TV. Uh, of course, there's older people that are listening and stuff. It's all relative. Yeah. And they're like, I remember when we got our first TV. I don't. We we had TV yeah. and stuff. I mean, I was only mm-hmm. born in the '70s, but you'd tune the TV, and then you'd like adjust the ears if you have to oh, yeah. and then as yeah. you back away from it you like back away slowly okay yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, it's we're crazy. good it's and then you sit yeah. down exactly. and you're like like your body is part of the reception signal yeah. and then my brother would come in and yeah. like flop down in a chair over there and the reception would go bad and be like oh man well plus i got it. i grew up in an area where he had like channel you two, ruined it two three four five you yeah. know yeah two three and thirteen then, and then and then we moved to the valley and all the stations were on the other dial the they UHF. were on table 24 uh. 25 26 and so we got to use the other dial yeah that was fancy wow. tv fancy, my grandma had fancy tv yeah <laughs> go over there and yeah really watch some tv yeah there it is yeah so anyway, he Dixon was just laughing at me. He's like, oh, "That's ridiculous." Like, "Oh yeah." Well, it came about we were talking about um there was a study recently that cell phones might cause tumors. And I was like, "You have any idea how much like we're absorbing daily of like Wi-Fi here and this network and this RFID thing and this scanner. I mean, we're probably, we probably are all going to die of like some weird 
brain growth tumor things uh, from possibly yeah well and could you so this is how the conversation went could you imagine if people mm -hmm. really started getting sick like hey look all of the millennials have brain tumors from cell phones yeah and then the federal government like passes a law that everything has to go back to corded wouldn't that be crazy no you can't just well, blow wi-fi all over your do it. yeah yeah and he was like, oh, man, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, we soak a lot of it up. Because when I was a kid, I know for sure that where you sat mm -hmm. in the living room would affect your television yeah. reception. Yeah. Well, you know, what's, what's crazy to me, actually, is like we have a digital clock here. A lot yeah. of the kids don't know how to read that analog clock out in the hallway there. My kids do. I know, but some kids don't. I think that's just crazy. Yeah. Huh. Anyway. Yeah. So what if you lost digital clocks? People are not going to know how to tell time. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Crazy. Who knows? Anyway. All right. Exciting stuff. Hmm. So back to mortgages. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth segue, Jim. Thanks. Yeah, well, we got to do something here. I was I was going to tie that into like the the radio producer price index talk or something. <laughs> Try to figure out some real smooth way to do that. What do you got over there? Oh, I got some good news over here. You let me know when you're ready for some for a pick me up. Why don't you save that? Okay. Why don't you save All good right, news? I will. I will. I mean, that's a good teaser. We got good news. Dan clips something out of a newspaper that's gonna make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a lot of, there's not enough of that in the media <laughs> today. Oh, I got some bad news. You want to hear some bad news <laughs> well, yeah. before we do the good news? Yeah, that Bring way we on. can save the good news for later. Um, Wall Street shrinking. Employment as bank at banks is falling. So it looks like a lot of the, the investment banks of Wall Street are just trying to adjust their expense-based. Um, Trustmark National Bank, I don't even know who that was, but their $12.8 billion something or other is cutting their workforce by six percent offering re early retirement packages to employees swiss bank ubs we used to work with ubs quite a bit are they doing home loan game anymore i don't know i don't think so not in the not the conventional they're cutting their wealth management hiring by 40 percent. you know when you're like a big time investment banker like that your um wealth management hiring is always grow 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 right because if i bring you in you're at least going to convince your mother um and your brother and anybody else in your family that you can guilt at christmas to bring your investment accounts over to the new company they're trimming their wealth management hiring by 40% in an effort to curb spending there. Bank of America is reducing staffing in their consumer banking division um, by another 8,000 jobs. Um, they've already been reducing staffing in the consumer division. Um, in 2009 to 2016, They've cut out 100,000 jobs already out of their banking division, and they're looking like they're going to shed. Which bank was that? Bank of America. And they're going to shed um, another 8,000 jobs. Um, so anyway, they're, they, they're reducing, and that's in the consumer banking side. This always makes me want to go on that tangent about how epic the local banks are and how much I, I dislike those big, big banks. But There was a lot of talk about how online banking has become 
so easy and it's easy. people are trusting it more that banks all, all the big banks are doing this it's easy chase wells fargo all these guys are cutting thousands tens of thousands of jobs um because they don't need the people when everyone's doing the online banking yeah well and i feel like um so central coast lending we have bank accounts at what we have three of the local we banks. bank with yeah heritage oaks bank uh-huh founders community bank Pacific Western Bank, which they're huge, but, but they're regional, um, and they have a local, yeah. local branch in San Luis. So three local banks. I got a question though. Yeah. Okay. All this, you know, cutting jobs and shedding at Bank of America and doing all the robotics thing and auto manufacturing and stuff. How are we going to buy all this stuff when nobody has jobs? I don't know. Have we thought about that from an economic standpoint. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the the changing of the economy. Yeah, I mean, how are we going to support the economy when nobody has a job? The gotta only get, thing, the only employment to, opportunities left will be service stuff that you just can't automate or outsource, yeah. or get back to building widgets. But even then, it's so much of handmade the things widgets. are made <laughs> by machines. Yeah, we need handmade yeah. widgets. And before yeah. long, we're not even going to need the machines because everyone's going to have a 3D printer at home, and we're all just going to print our toys and tools and things i actually saw something I, i've never really touched or seen anything that was a 3d printed thing but i saw something the other day i can't think of what it was really but um my nephew pointed out that's from a 3d printer and he's 13 and i picked it up and it's like that's pretty cool it's like yeah. a like kind of like a ball shape kind of thing it was pretty pretty amazing actually yeah i was looking recently online you can buy some of those 3d printers for pretty expensive it seems yeah. kind of fun you get into building little uh -huh. whatever you want at home it's just amazing that you can do stuff like that yeah and affordably yeah 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 um on the banking front you know i bank at heritage is where my personal accounts are primarily and um i think the biggest reason was because i was sort of where one of our main operating accounts are at work. I got tired of like the check holds and the, you know, whatever between moving money, you know, from business to personal. And, um, but for the most part, um, I, I don't even go into the heritage branches that much anymore because you, you really don't have to, you can do so much of it online and set up your bill pay and whatever every now and again, like when grandma sends you a birthday check, that's like a, a real check. Then you gotta, usually gotta go drop that in an ATM or go into the bank. But I know some of the other banks are now have a technology where you can just take a photograph of a check and put it in the bank, yeah. which is kind of wild. My personal account is with a credit union not a local one necessarily, but it's just a credit union. They allow that, but then they, it caps out. You can only do up to $5,000 in a day. So if you have a check for more than 5,000 bucks, you can't You're going to have to go in. Which I don't understand. The technology works only on checks less than $5,000? It's probably just a risk management thing that if you're... You, you, they don't want you to be able to to take a picture of a bogus check for twenty grand and then and then you know cause a problem where they potentially why don't lose they just grand. hold anything greater than five thousand then yeah I don't know but this week uh, we did find that um, at a national level now Congress is initiating a um, 
basically has recognized that the scope of business and online business is changing pretty dramatically and going to do some studies and try to figure out um, if everybody's doing it right, try to put some more oversight into place. Like, for example, if you're doing your business as a quote unquote online business where you're able to, and maybe it's not your whole business, but it's just an opportunity for your clients to make a purchase or, um, you know, place an order, pay an invoice or something online. Uh, there's not an awful lot of guidance on what you need to do. In fact, most of the time, you just rely on the vendor that you use. Like, for example, you have a shopping cart, right? That's like what they call that service that allows your client to go put something in the cart and then enter credit card information and buy it. So that service, whoever you hire to do your shopping cart functionality, you expect to be compliant and encrypted and protecting that really sensitive data, but you don't know for sure that they are because, I mean, you let's face it, you don't understand you, that. There's a lot of trust. Yeah, you have no idea how that works. And so you look to a, a reputable vendor, a national reputable vendor or whatever. So anyway, it, it was actually commended by the Bankers Association this week. They actually said, um, good, good for the, the, um, I, I forget if it's the sec that's a part of it. Anyways, commissioning this study to just understand it and then be able to publish some guidelines and requirements in an effort to just sort of make the whole online environment safer because it's absolutely moving in that direction. Um, we'll talk about job opportunities. I see the cyber police department <clears throat> hiring here probably over the next few decades. That seems like a big area of potential growth because of all the and scams sure. that are out there. There needs to be, especially when biz big businesses are moving that direction, moving their whole business as much of it as they can online because it's cheaper to produce. They might need I, to pay the police force a little bit more to... I got my security. debit card, my personal debit card got compromised somehow of course you never know when or where my my natural like instinct was to criticize the last vendor that i'd used it with <laughs> <laughs> i knew i shouldn't have used that thing over at you know whatever store i'm not going to name the store i thought at first it was because that's not fair the people at the bank reminded me that if it gets skimmed somewhere mm -hmm. somewhere along the way um, wherever it gets picked up, it oftentimes those numbers will go and be sold oftentimes several times. Mm -hmm. And so it can be months from the time that your card number gets out there mm -hmm. before the first bogus charge shows up. So I had that happen actually too. Um, I'm not going to say which store, uh, but it's a big chain store. And um, if it's Target, they, you can go ahead and well, say that. Well, let's let's not let's not Target let's not put it, it that way. <laughs> but they have one in Arroyo Grande, they have one in Santa Maria, and they have one in Paso Robles. And uh, Mart might be part of the um, anyway. Uh, but anyway, um, I I had to swipe the card a couple three times, and it wouldn't go through. And then like a few days later, I had these charges on there. I was like, I didn't buy that. Yeah. And I had to go discrepant with my bank and get a new card. This is back in December or January. And just 
so you got to be careful of like mine was just last week and i got a phone call from the bank and it said um automated thing we're Uh calling you to you know this is the fraud detection department of heritage oaks bank and um you know call us back at this number kind of thing so i call the number and a really lovely gal answered the phone and she said hey you know just want to verify some activity with you. Okay, go for it. Was this your charge? Yeah. You know? Smart and final in a Tascadero. Yeah, that was me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Was this your charge? $800 at Barnes & Noble in Texas. No, no. That wasn't. Yeah. How about $700 at Barnes & Nobles in Texas? Yeah. No. Yeah. $600 at Barnes & Nobles in Texas? Yeah. No. $500. Uh-huh. At, I'm like, look, lady, you can keep going down in $100 increments. I Barnes <laughs> & Nobles is out of business to my knowledge. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Even if it was $1 at Barnes & Noble in Texas, it wasn't me. <laughs> that was the right. final one. Yeah, yeah. They checked it in $100 increments at Barnes uh-huh. & Noble before they got all the way down to a buck and it wouldn't work. So yeah. there was like seven transactions actions attempted and um i mean there was money in there sufficient to clear those charges but however their stuff was working it was able to deny all of the charges so right none of the money was gone um i didn't have any claim or any uh hassle of anything except for cut up that card and we'll send you a new one and it takes a couple weeks. And then, so you're yeah. without your card, but, um, well, what I did was I, I can, what I can, what I would suggest to people actually is you can go to your bank and you can suggest, you can ask for whenever you, your, your checking account goes below a certain level to have an alert. Mm. So I set it at the highest level possible. And then they just so whenever text you pretty or much whenever I use my card, it it sends me an alert that I, my card's been used. No, it's cool. So then you just getting a confirmation of that your, it's been used. Yeah, but I also know that there's something on the the card that I didn't do. I know sure. right away pretty much that right somebody is using my card when they shouldn't be using my card. Yeah, it's smart. So yeah, well I now it's like five or six hundred bucks or something like that. There's these little um, scanner things now. They can scan you, get your RFID. So like somebody in Target or Starbucks or whatever that's just sitting there with this device on is just scanning the room and grabbing people's information out of your wallet. They don't even need to see your card anymore, which is extra scary. But you can now buy these devices. So talk about jobs being created. That RFID blocker. I saw that on Shark Tank. Yeah, you can add to your wallet or buy a wallet that is an RFID blocker. Question. If they have this technology, why don't they just build it into the card itself? Why have a separate card that you have to carry in your wallet or have a wallet that has it just build it into the card i suspect that's coming and um i mean how many of your cards now have that chip in it i really yeah. only use one so one. Have, my, that one does my debit card does but the the thing the but thing most I don't... of the vendors it seems rare now that a vendor have the uh-huh. chip thing properly functioning right but the yet th- i mean they all say it's coming um but it's well, I've explained this to the bank. The thing I don't like about that debit, that chip thing is sometimes when you're at ATM, it takes longer. 
It always takes longer. It takes longer. longer. And the last thing I want to do is stand in an ATM longer than I have to. Why? Because you're afraid of getting shot in the back well, or yeah, something? Especially if I'm in Santa Maria or something. But, <laughs> oh, come but, on. But, no, I'm just saying the last thing I want to do is take longer at an ATM. So there needs to be some way of kind of speeding up the reading process of it. I don't know, personally. That's my complaint about them. Nobody, at, nobody at home can wait to have more financial security. Yeah, nobody well, at yeah, home yeah, can yeah. see the way That's I'm true. looking at you right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I liked having the the financial security, but it does take longer slightly. It does. Do you remember back in the day before there was ATMs on every corner in the freaking country? And you'd have to wait you'd for someone to wait. write a check at the grocery store, or to yeah, walk into God the bank, <laughs> or stand in line inside the bank. Yeah, especially on a Friday. Yeah. Or a Monday. When everyone's in there <laughs> depositing their paycheck. Yeah. And now you're griping about the extra one-tenth of a second yeah, it takes for the I, box to I'm read wrong. your chip. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. But it does take longer. I wish the people at home could see the way I'm looking at you right now. <laughs> oh, it's glary. You are part of the problem, Your eyes Jim. haven't come off my face in about ten minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in that big of a hurry. You are not in that big of a hurry. Yeah. This is like when my wife comes home and tells me she got a speeding ticket on her way to the park. <laughs> Come on. You are not in that big of a hurry. Okay, Jason. Uh, you've been in a car with a bunch of kids. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you are. Yeah, you're, you're in a hurry to get somewhere. <laughs> the ATM can take an extra 45 uh, seconds if it needs to. Maybe uh, what they'll do, Jim, is put a commercial on for you uh, while they're reading your chip. <laughs> Everything of that? Okay, Jason. I'm going to keep my mouth shut for the rest of the show. <laughs> hey, my family's been out of town this week, so I've been sitting at home alone just, you know, looking oh, for you've some. you've been the one that's been cooped up. Fun yeah. conversation, yeah. So this is it. I mean, this is this is it. This is my opportunity to talk to some people. Oh, man. Hey, I've been saving this good news all hour. I'm ready for your good news. I, I went through the... Wait, did I finish about how we got sidetracked about how Bank of America was all the shedding all of those jobs? All the people off, yeah. Yeah. All right, I guess that's So use it. a local bank. You don't hear about Heritage Oaks Bank laying off tens of thousands of people. Right. Yeah. All they, right. They good news, good. us. You're the palate cleanser. Here we go. Good news. Good news. All right. We have a second straight month of awesome retail sales. So even though people aren't getting hired with as much frequency as they were a few months ago, they're out spending money um, a lot more than they were a few months ago. April, we saw retail sales up 1.3%, which is a pretty big reading. That's a good clip for one month. Last month. Uh, was no disappointment either. It was a half a percent increase. Wow. So people are out there spending. Um, How much of that is um, just additional gas cost? Actually, when you take out the more volatile motor vehicle parts, energy, you know, those things that really shouldn't factor in because who buys energy? Yeah. Um, then retail sales were up 0.4%. So oh. still a good number. Um, good. But that wasn't even the big good news that I had. That was just like the that was just that was the appetizer good yep. news. Give yep. us the main course that was good the news. Bouche. Um, here we go. This is the uh, the cool thing. California, the yeah. state, we're on fire. Not literally. Um, the economy is on fire. It expanded by nearly six percent 
in 2015, second only to Oregon. Um, the two best performing states here on the West Coast, California and Oregon. Oregon was actually up 5.9%. Um, that was their economic growth for last year. California up 5.7% last year. Um, it puts California as the sixth largest economy in the world. Previous, previously eighth, uh, we passed France and Brazil in this latest report. I don't know whether to like that. I mean, that's good news. I'm kind of wondering crazy. if it means those other economies are like in the tanker, though. Yeah, it's it's you in know both. partly because California is doing well, and also partly because France and Brazil are not. I read one time that if California just separated from the U.S., we'd be like one of the most powerful nations in the world. Yeah, the as far as far you as got an all your goes, armed services, you got a great economy, you got agriculture. Yeah. There's a lot here. It's a great state. It's why it's so expensive. The only um, larger economies in the world ahead of California Las are Vegas the United States okay China Japan Germany and the United Kingdom dang how come they don't rate Las Vegas I said that just kidding but I'll <laughs> bet you Las Vegas goes through more money than Switzerland well going through money is different than being an economy than being like the economic growth Sure, yeah. But I mean, they're I mean they're ranking states here, so Nevada is probably on the the report somewhere. They're just not in the just not the top. Like they a, a like old California, <laughs> yeah. The golden state getting the gold for the national economy. I don't guess that's too surprising. I mean, we're a big state, but and we just got think it going back. On. Just think um, back yeah. to two thousand six, seven, eight, when California was. You know, one of the sand states that was one of the hardest hit by the housing downturn. So much of the California economy is based on housing. Yeah. And we, I mean, we were one of the worst performing economies um, probably in the world, definitely in the, in the United States. And now we're one of the best performing. Well, actually, now our, we're the bright spot. And our economy is very diverse because, you know, you have Hollywood, you got entertainment, you got tourism, you've got agriculture, you've got computers, you got everything. The West it's very Coast diverse. So, fishing, yeah. Yeah. so if one thing's like down a little bit, then the other might be able to compensate for it. Yeah. So it kind of comes out in the wash. So, which also makes me think, uh, upon hearing said great news, if you're belly aching, not feeling like the economy around here is very good, you should be in some of the other states where it's <laughs> worse. <laughs> it is a great state. There's a lot about it that's great. All right, you guys, that sound indicates the top of the hour. Commercial break is coming. We got a five-minute break here, so go do whatever you need to do to position yourself best for another hour of enthralling radio. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. No, we're not moving in stereo, because we're AM, but we will be moving uh, the beginning of July. Brand new studios. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. Yep. There we go. 
Dan and I got a five minute break to go rest our vocal cords. So instead, we went outside and kept talking about the same stuff we talk about <laughs> in here on the radio. So you really didn't rest your vocal cords. People no. just didn't hear it over the air. Not at all. But it was a great brainstorming session. That's right. It's, yeah. it's, it's current, current, current information you guys pass out here. That's right. So five minutes ago. Right. <laughs> we wanted to spend a little time the second hour talking about accessory units or. Gosh, there's so many different terms for it. The accessory unit, the granny unit, the granny unit, the studio out back. Yeah, the in-law the quarters, the apartment over the garage. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There are these these little bonus apartments or units that are either attached or detached or somewhere on a property with a single-family home. Um, and I there's e. a lot of confusion my, about them. I.e., my income maker. Yeah. Well, it could be. It, I mean, you could. There's so many different uses. You can rent it out as, you know, student housing or just some apartment, a rental, whatever. You one can of, leave it for when the, the family comes to visit. For one of place. our clients that recently um, bought a house, they have a house down in Solvang that they were doing VRBO on. Yeah. The, there was a guest component to the home. I'd never been there, but a guest component to the home where they were able to rent out to transit occupancy for um, up. I mean, sometimes you can get 200 bucks a night yeah. for having a good space for some passer through or that just doesn't want to deal with a hotel. Yeah. Kind of crazy. So yeah, there is a ton of opportunity there. It comes up from time to time in lending because, um, you know, as you could imagine, take San Luis, for example. It's most common in our county to see this in San Luis. Um, but I, Morro Bay, you see a lot of it. Mor sure. Morro Bay, they've, they've changed the guidelines over the years. Um, they used to allow, I think, up to 1,200 square foot accessory unit then the guidelines went down to maybe six or nine hundred square feet now they might be pushing it back oftentimes your city has so let's break this down i mean first of all there's the what it is that extra living space on your property does and whether or not it's legal and then additionally there there's oftentimes lending concerns over whether or not the income from it is something that can be counted and qualified for when is it considered a two unit property versus a single family residence because because the eligibility lending. and pricing is yeah. very different for what would be and first i want to like close your eyes unless you're driving don't close your eyes <laughs> but think about like a duplex like a twin home kind of thing where you have a shared wall. 500 broad street and there's 500 a broad street and 500 b broad street or unit one unit two but there's a wall down the middle and now we have the um mirrored image of the two two bedroom two bath you know with the carports out back that are shared that's there's a lot of those over like uh, right off of broad street over there i'm thinking like mitchell codil all that you see those quite a bit um that's a true duplex and i'll tell you legally what it is is um there's one owner to the lot it's one tax base to the lot uh, the zoning allows a multifamily zoning, so it's not what you would see as like an R1, which is a residential single family, but this is usually an R2, which is a residential two family. Multiple utility hookups. Yep. You're going to have two separate water meters, two separate gas meters, um, and those are that's just part of that whole package. Those are really clear and easy to understand. Um, when we talk about the difference between a single family residence and a, and a two unit property or a duplex, um, that's what I want to draw your mind to the difference between that 
house that's just a driveway with a garage and a house and it's so clearly just one autonomous house versus the one where okay there's two living structures on one property um here's where it gets blurry though you have and you'll see this in slow there's a nine or ten thousand square foot lot that has um a 1500 square foot house way up in the front all the way up at the front setbacks driveway down the side in the back we've got like a guest studio that's 600 to 800 square feet attached or not to a garage yeah over the top of a garage or or next to it um and so and again you've got an a and b setup but this particular property that i'm describing is um that guest studio out back it's sharing the utilities of the front studio. It doesn't have a separate gas meter. It doesn't have a separate water meter. The zoning is actually still for a single family home. So there's some guidelines in the zoning ordinance that permit you to have that ancillary dwelling unit out back. Um, and around the county, there's different rules. For example, sometimes it's defined as it's your guest house for you if it doesn't have a full kitchen. So have a fridge, have a sink, have a cooktop. If you put in an oven, you've created a, a full-blown second unit, and we're not okay with that. Um, so you're seeing around that. And by the way, I think this is one of the things that that rental inspection ordinance hopes to try to get its arms around, is getting in to figure out what's what. Um, and I don't want to be accused of supporting that ordinance, but I think that's one of the things they're after. Um, so that being said, let's say you're that guy. So you come in for a loan. Um, and let me, let me just back up real quick too. If the going gets tough for you and your bills, um, and you own multiple properties or complex properties, um, you generally will allocate your resources to keeping the roof over your head. Right. So single family residence is going to have the most favorable terms in terms of minimum down payment, minimum reserve requirements. Um, Credit scores are oftentimes it's acceptable to have a lower credit score um, and you get better pricing to boot for being a single family residence. Our lowest that's our lowest risk factor home loan that we can make to somebody is a stick built single family residence. Um, The riskier ones are like things for the affordable segment of the population like condos or manufactured homes those have additional pricing hits and restrictions on them Uh, when you move into a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex well now you're up to something you're going to rent out this unit you're going to rent out that you're going to have vacancy you're going to i don't know if you're any good at managing (laughs) it if there's a foreclosure now i got to inherit your property that you have three tenants in and i got to figure out how to get the tenants out it's going to cost me more time and money i'm potentially going to have deeper losses so if i'm going to allow that at fannie mae you're putting additional money down you're having a higher credit score, you're going to prove additional reserves in the bank, and I'm going to charge you a higher interest rate to each one. A duplex, a little bit more. A triplex, more yet. A fourplex, even more than the prior two. Residential lending, by the way, caps out at four units. Once we get beyond that, you're moving to the the commercial world. So that being said... It's really critical to understand what type of property are you going to be classified by. 
Um, and it gets a little bit subjective. So going back, let's say that I buy a true duplex again, right? That one that's clearly two homes on one lot that are equal in size and stature. Um, if I buy one, I buy the property, I live in one and I rent the one next door out. That's so clear. A rental agreement, it's a totally separate residence. It's got all of the amenities as the one I live in. That income can be used to offset my rent payment. The zoning's okay with it. It's got separate utilities. It all makes sense. So you go down the path of doing a two-unit property and qualify as such, okay. How about this other guy that's got the studio out back, the 800-square-foot studio? Um, doesn't have a separate meter. It's in a single-family zoning most of the time, I'm not going to let you count the rents on that. You're That's called border income. That's not really any different than you having, and border income, I think, goes all the way back to when you would take borders. If you had- You'd Rent out a room in your house. A three-bedroom home, and you know, I think a while back, it was a common practice where you might, yeah, you might have a room. It's almost like you were the one of the inns in town that a, a, somebody passing through could board for the night at your place. Uh, we don't allow you to count that income on most loan programs. Um, and and this is a shocking thing to some people. You know, for example, I, I had a client recently, a Cal Poly professor who is a, a single guy and housing is expensive here in town. So he had bought a three bedroom house and rents out two of the other bedrooms ideally to long-term people that are consistent in that, but and reports the income on his taxes. But that income can't be used towards qualification because it's border income. And it's, the idea is that it's less stable because... Well, because what if what if you rent to me? So let's say I, I rent a room from Dan, and then it turns out that you cook stinky food, you're up all night, you're causing these problems, and I... I can't live with you. You can't live with me. Whatever happens. Now we've got this like we're the living quarters are just too close. And so you say that's a closer recipe for disaster than if you had a wall between us and you were in unit B, you know, and, and again, go back to the bank. If I'm the bank, I don't want to not understand my rights, especially if I have to foreclose on you. I need to know who's my roommates, who's got a lease, who needs to be properly evicted and who not. And when you just got these like weird rules where you're sharing a bathroom and renting out a room to a guy that your agreement is he's not allowed to go in the kitchen. I mean, there's weird stuff that happens on border income. And so we just don't count it as a rule. Um, but... So the, you know, you kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater where the city recognizes your zoning and single family lets you have that studio out back, provided it doesn't have a stove. Okay. Do we count that income or not? Um, for the most part, not. Uh, the line is typically drawn as to whether you have separate gas meters. So it's great that you rent it out and you've got a tenant in there that's paying you $1,000 a month. We're just not going to count that towards your qualification. In some cases, that's wildly upsetting to the, the home loan applicant because it's consistent. They're like, it's on my tax returns. It's consistent, stable. It's a part of it. Well, and it's so, you know, in some situations, it can be such a subtle difference between a true two unit and this single family with the accessory unit. I mean, when it's detached, it's over the garage. I mean, it, 
that's a that's an apartment. When I when I go home, I th- I think about it as my tenant in my apartment on my yeah. lot. Why shouldn't I be able to count that? I am paying income tax. You know, I'm declaring yeah. it. And how different is it? Yeah, you know? it's not really. It doesn't feel like it's different. So that subjectivity of that has been upsetting to a lot of people, especially if it makes a difference of you qualifying or not. Um, so. So that's kind of the deal. And around the county, it's different. You know, it's one of these things where oftentimes you can convert your garage to a, a living quarters. And, and you might even be able to have a tenant live in those quarters, provided that you meet the guidelines and meet the standards. Um, and you, you kind of brought specifically to reference a, a program that we have available where you can count not only that income from that guest unit out back that you've historically not been able to count, but also count income from that situation. Like my Cal Poly guy, that's got students that rent out bedroom two and bedroom three. There is a program now where you can count that without the subjectivity of being left to somebody's discretion. So that's definitely something that we can accomplish. Not all lenders, by the way, offer that it's actually a Fannie Mae program. Uh, But again, and again, I think it's something that just many lenders don't know about. So if that's something that you've struggled with before uh, or been turned down on before, um, then come, you know, come and see us. And, and by the way, I want to say um, as much as I say it, it it's, comes off as kind of confusing or hard to figure out what road you're going down, um, oftentimes the appraiser is a pretty critical person to help us figure that out because on the appraisal report, they're going to put down what the zoning is. They're going to put down um, whether or not there's separate gas meters uh, and probably whether or not the unit was permitted. Correct. <laughs> and and probably most specifically, there is a specific form that a single family residence goes on. And then there's another form completely that a multifamily property goes on. And the it's very difficult to make a single family with a guest home fit the two unit appraisal form. So usually they're going to be your best pushback and say, you know what, even if you order it on a duplex form, because sometimes I'll have a client that comes in and goes, all right, I have a property that has a separate residence on it and I rent it out. So, okay, it's two units, you know, let's accept it at that because that pricing is worse. And we'll go ahead and just start down that path. If we can get you over into the single family unit um, pricing and product, let's go there because it's cheaper for you. But you place the order as a duplex appraisal and the appraiser usually calls and says, you can't, this needs to be a single family because it's actually a guest home or some sort of ancillary building on the property and it belongs as a single family. Um, and, and, then it all sort of takes different shape there. That's the easiest way to convince an underwriter, by the way, that might disagree with you is to say the appraiser said that it needs to go this way. Um, so it's a, it's one of those things where it, it can be a little bit hard to figure out exactly what's what, but um, you know, again, that's why being with a company like ours where not only do we, we're going to put in that extra time to try to figure out how to get you going down the right path initially, but also if we catch a curveball where maybe we order it, we, we all powwow and agree that we think it's best 
um, lending to you as a single family residence. And then the appraiser calls and says, hey, guys, this really should be on the two unit form. And here's why. Okay, great. Now we can make those tweaks and kind of revisit it. And in some cases, I've even been able to argue with appraisers and get them to see it my way. So um, it's just, it's kind of a tricky little thing. But the most important thing is that not all lenders are equal on the way that they evaluate this stuff. And, you know, like I said, you want to get, even if you have a guest house out back, you want to get a single family product and pricing because that's going to be your best interest rate your lowest closing costs get your a higher cheaper appraisal value. yeah yeah all of those things are more favorable for you if you can get away with a single family product and pricing um some people out there might think well i was able to count that income on my last loan the rules have changed over the last eight years as as guidelines have loosened and tightened and now starting to loosen a little bit this particular issue I feel like has changed multiple times just in the last five or 10 years. It does. It changes a lot. And then additionally, too, you know, you got to ask those questions. What does FHA think about your multiple units or that guest home? What is VA? How about USDA? I mean, there's... Are, do they view it all differently? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, I know USDA, it's... USDA is interesting because they'll usually only do... I mean, they will only do a single family, a one-unit property. Right. So... The property that's a true two unit, you can't even do a USDA on that. But if it's the single family with the accessory unit, that's still a single family home and you could do that on USDA. Yeah, and circling back to the other thing about it that's always important is what are the comps in the market? You know, what we really want on every loan is to feel that what you have is conforming to the market. Over and slow, you're not going to have a tough time finding comps that have got a guest unit out back. Um there's just different different parts of the community where you might not be able to find too many comps that have that other that other unit and so then it might not be able to be valued um you know for example if it, of all of the comps comparable sales in your neighborhood that have closed you're the only one that has a 500 square foot guest house out back they don't still know how to value it and will attempt to not value it so um yeah, it's an interesting thing. I was telling Dan during the break that when I was at Cal Poly, I was a city and regional planning major. I know I say that all the time, but my senior project was actually on um, ancillary dwelling units. And my thought was, um, and, and I, I wrote this paper. It, do you remember when you did your senior project, how many pages it needed to be? I mean, I think it was a... 25 or something like this mine was over 100 pages (laughs) oh my gosh well and it was because i kind of got going on a tear of of pictures right no (laughs) just it was it it was something that i was really passionate about and and this is it talking about this even right now maybe you get the sense of it but it's something that's still i mean 15 years later it means a lot to me and i and i wish that all of the cities would um, and I know it's debatable, so we could. I, I try not to shed a lot of opinions on this show, but this is one where I'm. I'll take this and take any fight you guys want to give me on arguing my point. I want to set this up real quick because the reason we even started talking about this was I saw a letter to the editor in the newspaper recently where someone wrote in and was complaining about this practice of allowing these accessory units because it was lift. It was it was causing. Um, 
home values to be higher than they should. Like, you know, a, a property, say a typical three bedroom, two bath home in slow might be just for round numbers, $500,000 or maybe $600,000. You look at that same property with the guest unit and maybe it's worth seven or $800,000. And this guy was complaining that it's this practice of allowing these secondary units is making homes unaffordable. Sure. Now I know your senior project might have a little something different to say. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Um, my position, and this was ultimately my my thesis of my project, is that every city should make extra effort to include the allowment of ancillary dwelling units whenever possible. And here's why. I mean, number one, and this is how it got so long, was for me to develop all of these points thoroughly, um, is... And, and you got to kind of put the lens on, I, I suspect it's still this way, but at the time, so much of the coursework that we studied was about combating sprawl. That idea that you can't just keep spreading out and out and out and eating up your open spaces and building to every place you can build. From a city standpoint, sprawl is expensive, right? You got to build new roads. You got to lay new infrastructure. It means you got to have new schools. Every, you know, the response time for fire means you got to put in another station down the road. You got to do all these things. It's very expensive. Um, so in combating sprawl, what, what's one of the most obvious ways to do it? Build up. Okay. But you can only build so many multi-story residential homes in in single family type neighborhoods. Um, but then you could also do those infill projects where you're, you know, improving the density of your city from within. And what's the most obvious way to do this? Allow people to have a secondary dwelling unit out back. And from where I saw it, um, the, the different aspects of reasons you're going to do this. Number one is it's again, it's a less taxing on infrastructure. You already have the water, the sewer, the power, all these things are already in place. So you're just making it a little bit more dense. Um, of course, there's going to be some greater usage in those more dense areas, but it's, it's easier to figure out how to step up service levels and retrofit for greater service levels oftentimes than it is to the expense of just building and expanding. So utilizing existing infrastructure is a big component to it. Secondly, um, it makes it easier on circulation for um, like public transportation and things like that, where you can plan a bus schedule better if you can depend on more people being in the neighborhood parts and able to serve that, that public transportation thing a little bit easier rather than having to have your buses go farther to pick up people from the outskirts all the time. Um, and then another component of it, too, is just something that I think is anecdotal about American households is um, it, a single family residence is just not as conducive to multi-generational living. If you have a guest house out back where you can have maybe your kids live in it while they go to college. After that, you could supplement your income while, you know, you've got that uh, additional unit out back that you might be able to rent out. And then lastly, you know, maybe that's where the, the in-laws or the parents come as they're hitting retirement age and need a little bit closer care and in some cases that supervision. Um, and that topic was one that's pretty easy to develop because you can look at other countries around the world where multi-generations occupy one property and it arguably creates a stronger family unit, which translates into better communities and those better neighborhoods, better communities, better cities. 
um, it, it's not a, to me, it's not a very hard thing to argue. And, um, you know, you get into these rubs though. So why won't they allow it at the city? Well, if you're trying to convert your garage, the zoning requires that you have covered parking. So if you get rid of your covered parking, now you need to put in a carport. We also want you to have on-site parking for the most part so that we're not having every house build out their driveway and convert their garage. And now we've got three cars, all four the city cars streets. per house clogging the city streets. Now yeah. nobody can park in their neighborhood. You know, and then so, that affects businesses. And But I yeah. just want to say, you know, again, going back to the premise of my senior project is... Um, allow it wherever possible. Come up with those guidelines about parking on street or parking off street. Come up with those guidelines about maximum lot coverage or whatever it is, however you need to come up with a way to allow it. But it, it just strikes me as an incredible waste where you run into areas where it's just blanketly forbidden. Um, I think it's a, it's it's short-sighted. Um, and again, it's sprawl-inducing as opposed to something that I think combats sprawl and, and helps develop, um, you know, those more dense urban areas where you want that. I mean, and I do. I think you want that in a neighborhood. Those extra people and, you know, see people coming and going. It keeps everything safer where there's always eyes around and people can help each other. There's so much to it that's a great thing. And you see it. You know, in areas where you got those duplexes or apartments or something, but it's there's such a wasted opportunity where, especially today, you need your backyard with 3,000 square feet of grass to water and maintain, right. and it's just dead space behind your house that I don't think we use enough anymore, especially because both parents are having to work to pay the freaking bills because the house is so darn expensive. Whereas if you converted that lawn over to a, a secondary unit where you might be able to, you know, run the gamut, do a VRBO, you know, have a, and properly collect the transit occupancy taxes and do these things, create an affordable unit for a college student or for whoever. Going back to that article you suggested where somebody said it was driving up the cost, nonsense. I, if I had the time, I would rebut them in writing to the to the Tribune as well. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, those people that are out competing for these properties, maybe there wouldn't be so much competition for them if all of these college kids could go easily rent a studio behind a family's home. You know, something more affordable than having to get four of them together to drive the rent to $1,000 a bedroom, which is creating... We have a disproportionate amount of renters in slow because it's so lucrative to be a landlord. Mm -hmm. How can you combat that? Well, yeah, Cal Poly can add some more beds. What if they change the zoning to allow it a little more inclusive to put a unit above the garage or to, you know, put a unit in the backyard? One of those things where, you know, you might be able to rent that studio out for six or seven hundred bucks a month. Um, it just seems so common sense to me, yet it's one of these things that's just generally resisted by people. And, you know, like that article that you quote that was written to the Tribune this week, there's somebody that's out spreading that propaganda about why it shouldn't be allowed. And those are the kind of people, by the way, that take the time to write the letters. Those are the kind of people that go to the planning commission meetings. Those are the voices that are being heard. So... It, I think it's a frustrating thing. I, I'm I'm all for creating those opportunities to have more dense places in our neighborhoods. And just think about slow. 
you know, because the other movement that's afoot right now is building taller buildings in downtown. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's plenty of people that want to complain about that. But it's going after the same problem, trying to create more affordable housing opportunities where you can be more dense, more bedrooms per square foot of land than if you just sprawled out and did single family, right. single story buildings all around. So what would you rather have? 75 feet tall buildings all over downtown slow or guest homes right. sprinkled throughout the city behind the normal houses. What's more important, your view corridor or your green space? I mean, I, I, I happen to have like them both, opinions, but, but also if you go walk through slow, there's some really, really beautiful buildings in downtown slow. Some of which you'll realize are 50, 65, 75 feet tall already. Um, and they're gorgeous and it's a, it's a part of the, the downtown vibe. And, you know, it's something that we're kind of used to, but people start, Oh, I didn't put a 75 square foot or 75 foot building in downtown slow or skyscrapers, you know, come on somewhere. We got to give, what are we going to do? Yeah. We can't combat height and combat infill development with these higher densities and then complain about the expensive cost of housing that continues to go up. You know, it's like we, we were griping about this thing from every angle. Sooner or later, we got to let our guard down and pick which one we want. Do you want it just to be overpriced and gentrify this county completely? Do you want some taller buildings? Do you want to allow guest houses? What do you want to do? You're going to have to give somewhere or else all we're going to get is just the, the high prices. So I think that person that wrote that article is perfectly wrong. Um, and if you're listening, uh, sorry, I guess. Gotcha. It's an interesting thing, and it comes up a lot. There's a lot of these accessory units in the county. Um, it's nice to know, because this wasn't around. It, it, it's, it's come and gone over the years, like I was saying earlier. But it's nice to know that we have a loan program where you can actually count the, the income from these accessory units and border income and things like that. So if that's something that um, hits home with you, give us a call. We can help you out. The number to the office is 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. The number to the studio, if you'd like to ask a question or share a comment here live on the radio, is 543-8830. We'll take a quick break um, to thank our sponsors, and uh, hopefully we get a call, or otherwise we'll just hear us for another half hour. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 01839608. NMLS number 328358. While the superheroes at Rafoni's Home Appliance Center don't wear capes, they should. They get to the bottom of your problem faster, keeping your appliances running longer, and they stand behind the repairs for a year. Nobody else does that. Call before 11 a.m. and they could be there today. Need repairs? Call Rafoni's 481-5000. Icon Entertainment Group and this station brings you Rodney Carrington. You're the keeper of my soul. You're the owner of my heart. I don't think a day will come we'll ever be apart. 
And I will always love you like no other As long as you don't turn out like your mother Rodney Carrington, July 8th, Alex Madonna Expo Center. I like my women, I like my chicken with a little bit of fat on the end. Not too much, not too little, just enough to make me grin. Can't even come out of an elevator out of there without a hooker going, you want some company? <laughs> oh, good gracious, for the fifth night in a row, lady. Yes. Get your tickets now at ballotips.com. Rodney Carrington. Because hookers make you skip. Rodney Carrington, July 8th, Alex Madonna Expo Center. Pismo Beach Chamber of Commerce presents Peru and Machu Picchu. This fun and exciting trip departs November 1st for a nine-day vacation. Contact Rochelle at pismochamber.com or call 773-4382. Peru and Machu Picchu featuring Lima, Cusco, and the Sacred Valley. You retired from business with a wealth of experience. Now become a SCORE volunteer and put that expertise to work. Slow Score offers free counseling to new and existing businesses in San Luis Obispo County and the Santa Maria Valley. We consult on everything from accounting to sales and marketing. Our volunteers offer real-world perspectives and first-hand knowledge. Schedules are flexible. Help businesses succeed. Learn more at sanluisobispo.score.org. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, all right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Welcome back. Was that like the exercises for your vocal cords? All right, that all was, right, uh, right. Matthew that, McConaughey. That was my uh, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> uh, and you got to like slow it down and get that. The draw. That, yeah, with a little bit of the like raspy right. clicking in your voice. Yeah. All right, all right. All right, all right. <laughs> All right. You remember that? All right. <laughs> it makes me think of Jim Carrey doing the impression of Matthew McConaughey doing a Lincoln car oh, commercial. That's pretty <laughs> funny. Those are, those are pretty classic, actually. Yeah. Those are pretty funny. That is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> He's like rolling a booger in his fingers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and oh the God. people that have not seen the McConaughey commercial you need to YouTube that. or the Jim Carrey commercial <laughs> that's satirically making fun of the McConaughey commercial then it's sorry hilarious. about that sorry we <laughs> did nonsense to you for minutes in a row 
We had a caller during the break um, with an interesting question, not necessarily about the border income that we were just talking about, but uh, it's about it's about easements on their property. Um, this was specifically about a power pole in on their property that the um, power company had an easement for for maintenance. You know, there's those kind of things. I, I was thinking that a lot of people <laughs> would be surprised to learn that there was an easement on their property. I think it's more common than, than people realize. Yeah, it's really common. I um, I knew that I had an easement on my property because I have a manhole cover for sewer access. It's the main access for my entire block um, for all the homes on my side of the street. It's it's the, the, the access for, for that block. Um, I just recently learned in doing some landscape work on my property that I also have city water lines running directly under uh, my fence. Oh, on my do you have a line. new geyser? Did you? No, find <laughs> no. Luckily, that's not how we found out. We found out because we went the appropriate route and got the city out to um, mark lines before we did work. So we learned that, I mean... Perfect placement. Yeah, in it's fact, right under the property. Don't line. you have to keep a gate on your backyard for access or something to that side? Yeah, we've talked about it with the city, and they don't necessarily need a gate. They just need access, which they have um, without the gate. But yeah, so I I have more than one easement, or I have one easement that covers multiple things. So I'd be surprised. I, I bet more people out there... Um, don't realize I, I, there's a lot of people that don't realize they have easements sure. for that kind of maintenance stuff. Um, and so the question was, does that affect your property value? I think in your case, no. Yeah, I think for those common maintenance types things, that's no. really normal. But, but we run into some weird easements. Well, I'll tell you what. There's a spot. Um, there's a part of a Tascadero up towards the north. So, th but on the other side of the freeway. So kind of up by Home Depot, but on the west side of 101. There's some power lines that come down into a Tascadero through there that are those crazy, like huge, not a power pole, but the metal, like uh, Eiffel Tower yeah, looking things towers. with the big lines that when you're like in what the, you see coming off the Morro Bay power plant. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're there, you on the property can hear them like clicking buzz. and buzzing. <laughs> and I mean, I. When we were looking for real estate up there, there was a couple of those houses where I would look at the pictures and the listing and be like, that's a pretty good deal. And I don't understand why I could get an acre for this price with a house that looks like that. Because people are worried about their kid growing a third arm. I pull up under <laughs> the, the driveway and get out to hear the bzzz yeah. and click pop and look up and be like, whoa, yeah. I don't want to live there. So if that's your easement, that's affecting your value for sure. I actually had one that was actually affects my value probably in a positive way because, oh. uh, because my, where I live, the, the street Oh, you have a unicorn it. easement. Yeah. <laughs> this is where the unicorns come down through the hills. And so he has a unicorn viewing station yeah. on his property. Yeah, I know. Those, are, those are very rare. Makes yeah. your pro your property is worth more. Agreed. Well, because what, if it, what happened is like when we get rain around here, if that ever happens, sometimes the street above me would flood. Oh. So they, they the city put in this, this drainage thing. And we had uh, an easement for the pipe to go across the backyard. 
So underneath the street, underneath, you know, of course they came and buried it and everything. So there's an easement there from the ma to maintain that pipe. Sure. But so what would happen before this happened is sometimes the backyard would erode. Oh yeah. So constantly have to, you know, after a heavy rain, um, you'd have to go back in and fix the backyard. Sure. But so now that this has happened, they've so mitigated that problem, which makes that the property. Problem. Yeah. Because now right. you don't have to deal with fixing the backyard yeah. when you do have a heavy rain. Sure. So it probably in a positive way has affected. Yeah, yeah it, it's incredibly common for there to be an easement. You'll see it utility easement for ingress, egress, where they're just putting you on notice that there's some part of your property that's got something where the utility or city, the water company, whoever it is, has an opportunity to come and go and you're, you know, thereby notified. And by the way, if you're unsure about that, um, it's part of your preliminary title report and, uh, every refinance and every purchase loan that we do. And most lenders, this is going to be the case requires, um, title insurance and that title insurance. These are the kind of things that it covers. It talks about, uh, what easements there are, what liens there are, if there's any special tax assessments or mellow ruse, if they're, you know, all these kind of things. And so uh, if you're curious about that, you know, and maybe some people are, you could always go pull out your title report, look in there and find out um, what it has to say about your property. But it's, it's very common. Um, it's, it's very common to have some kind of an easement for something or other. And I'd say for the most part, no, because it's so common, it's, it's not going to have negative inf impact on value. The exception being if it's for, you know, something like those big buzzing power lines or something like that, where, you know, if it causes some person, some people concern, you know, we've seen some, I can think of a property recently where there's road access issues sure. due to easements um and that can be problematic even for getting financing if there's sure. not clear access rights to a parcel and it looks like th there may be this like locked parcel that really you don't have a a right to access um that could be a problem yeah the subdivision map that map act laws attempted to um, prevent that from happening they they called it the um for some reason, the word antiquated comes to mind, but it has to do with a parcel that's landlocked by other private property owners. Um, and that was something that when they came through and, and ultimately created the national, um, I don't want to say assessor maps because that's not quite the right term, but basically booked what the subdivisions were and the parcel rights were. Um, most of those things were attempted to uh, make sure that there was access to each piece of private property. And anymore, you're prohibited from creating a new subdevelopment, which leaves a landlocked parcel. I do think they call it the antiquated parcel act. But anyway, I'll have to look that up. The laws are such that you can't do that. So you, um, but usually, you know, like think Dan on your street out there in Morro Bay, in fact, there, this happens kind of frequently where there's what we'd call a flag lot. Mm -hmm. 
And I've even seen a couple new subdivisions on that north end of your or south end of your street where they've done this recently. A big house in front that might have been on an acre. And so they take and create an easement and subdivide the back half of the property for something that's developable. You know, maybe they put in two or three, four little houses back there and their access comes through an easement to the front property. And those easements are required to be recorded and put in place in order to approve the subdivision of the rear part of the land. Um, and yeah, from a lending standpoint, every parcel that we're going to lend on needs to have clear access as dedicated easement, but also typically we need an all weather road too. So if you're going to have access by an easement, it can't just be a dirt road or, you know, a dirt road with a gate on it or something like this. It needs to be an accessible all weather road that, um, year round access to, uh, you know, anybody that has ingress, egress issues or requirements to the property. Um, right before that, you know, we, when we were talking about that article where this guy suggested that, um, property values were increasing because of ancillary dwelling units being permitted in areas. Um, something that ties closely into that, I want to say maybe, maybe. I see the argument because if, if I, if you, let's say you and I have two homes that are built by the same builder in the same year and you know, they're in downtown slow and you have, you have your 2000 square foot house and I have my 2000 square foot house, but then I've put a guest house out back on mine. That wasn't free. Right. A 800 square foot guest house out back. I laid that out at two bucks a foot. It cost me 160 grand to build it. And yeah, if it rents for me for a thousand bucks a month, that's coming back my way. That yeah, makes has, my house worth more. Has income potential the other house doesn't. Yeah. And so it's not just the act of allowing it that's driving up the cost of homes. Um, but, you know, I, I want to go on to make this point, though, that you want to know what this one of the problems, one of the reasons why home home prices are going up so crazily it's a, it's a scarcity thing. There's a greater supply or a greater demand than there is supply. Uh, we learned this last week uh, from the Census Bureau that the U.S. home ownership rate fell nearing a 48-year low. Wow. Out of the last 48 years, less people own their home today than they did 49 years ago. And um, that's problematic. Uh, first quarter of 2016, the home ownership rate slipped to 63.6%. It was 63.7, um, in the last quarter of 15. Um, the most recent decline is occurring, um, because most millennials remain too young to buy. So there's a, the population, this is kind of like those employment calculations where the population is growing a little bit faster, mm -hmm. but also, you know, two thirds of new households are renters. So what do you have? You've got a lot of new construction. You know, we talk about the new buildings and new permits and stuff. 
Buildings and permit numbers that we look at every month are oftentimes skewed by large-scale developments, big condominium projects or big apartment complexes. You know, because think about it. In San Luis, when was the last time we built a new apartment complex here? Rancho Telosa by... Uh, uh, by Costco. Out by Costco. Mm -hmm. That's probably, a, I mean, but that's already 10 years old probably, right? Oh, yeah. Can you think of any other ones in the time that you've been here? We yeah. don't build a lot of apartments around here. We really don't. Um, so think about that. In other parts of the country, particularly the Midwest and back east where they do, they'll build an apartment complex. It's a, way, a necessity. In fact, they might acquire several houses in a row on a corner of a block that are nearing the end of their economic life to scrape them and then drop in a 200 unit apartment building. Um, so those numbers can skew 200 single family housing starts. It constitutes some big tracts or a lot of infill versus maybe one moderately sized apartment building. Um, so those, a lot of the numbers of the new buildings that we have and the permits that are being pulled for, uh, new construction happen to be multifamily housing like that. Um, and around here, we just don't see a lot of that, but, um, so that's, that's what I'm going to argue is pushing up, uh, home values and home prices, diminishing affordability. Well, it's also based on the fact that we're at a 48-year low in home ownership. The more, I mean, every landlord that owns a house and rents it out is doing it as a business. They want maximum rents. You know, that's what their investment consists of. We ran into some trouble in the early 2000s where the push became to increase that home ownership rate. And that was... It, it becomes, I think, sadly, a little bit of a political conversation because there's, you know, the government was pushing the, the lending industry towards, and regardless of your politics, this is true, was pushing the lending industry towards um, reducing some of the requirements and helping more people achieve that dream of home ownership. And what that added affordability, that added marketability, the the exotic loan products that then came to market to help facilitate that goal caused an erosion of credit quality. That's what we had happen. I mean, in its entirety, no, <laughs> it wasn't just that. Obviously, there was a lot of greed and a lot of just mismanagement of money and loan products that went not a lot of oversight. way <laughs> off the deep end. Yeah, not a lot of oversight. I mean, there was a variety of reasons, but the last time the government stepped in and tried to mandate lowering credit standards and lowering down payment requirements and lowering credit requirements and all of these different all of these different things that were part of that initiative of expanding home ownership really bit us quick and so we're in this period right now in fact we're running out of time we can't fully develop that topic but you had referenced an article last week where some of these lenders that were serving underserved segments of the market were exempt from some of the qualified mortgage rules that have been put in place by this last round of Dodd-Frank regulation. Mm -hmm. Does anybody study history anymore? <laughs> Do we know what happens when you allow lenders to be exempt from the oversight of making qualified mortgages? The whole point of qualified mortgages was to clean up 
the kinds of credit decisions that were being made to undeserving people. So we're already going back into that cycle, maybe this yeah. time to a lesser degree, but come on, people, read a history book. This is recent history. This was, you know, 12 years ago. We know what happens when we throw the regulations out the window and it for the, you know, under the guise of serving the underserved, we diminish the requirements and allow, you know, just whatever. Yep, we'll do that for you. You have no credit. You have no money. You have no income. We don't have to care about that because we're exempt from these rules anymore. Anyway, that's what those, all of that, I mean, is, is what's making housing more expensive. There's not enough of it around. The home ownership rate is low, which means you're leaving a large part of it in the hands of investors that are greedy for profit. Well, there's more people uh, out that need to rent or the people that want to buy. There's more competition because there's more of those people that don't own. Yep. I think in the 2007-ish era, home ownership rate peaked out at about 70 percent and so now it's since come down to 68 or nine or something yeah. yeah i mean it was getting up there well think about it man your hairdresser owned four houses in that era <laughs> that was that was where it was at get another house making more money off those than you are on your job beg borrow and steal you need another one cash that one out to get a down payment for another one we know where we ended up there Guys, we started the show today by telling you how crazy low interest rates are. Uh, with all of this kind of global uncertainty, interest rates are touching some new uh, multi-year lows here. Um, we shared the 2.77 APR for a 15-year, uh, 3.52 for a 30-year. And um, so those are those are good and cheap. If you have mortgage insurance or a second, you need to do debt consolidation, you want to buy your first home, you want to pick up a vacation home up at the lake, any great multitude of reasons why you might just want to check in and make sure that you're on the right course, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call this week at the office. One number rings all four of our offices, 543-5626, or find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll be back next Saturday for a whole nother two-hour episode. Have Happy a great Father's week. Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there.